Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. This is PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm Austin Gale with my guy, my bestie, Mike Renner here next to me. We are live on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday. You can also get us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm going to get right into the schedule here. We got What's on Tap. No, we don't. We have our drafts. Raise a glass. <laughs> Raise, a glass. <laughs> Raise a glass where we're talking about some of our top prospect performances from the weekend. We'll also pour some out for my guy, Aesop Winston Jr. A little Ooh. teaser there. Guy that I've hyped up on the podcast, Washington State wide receiver Aesop did not have a good weekend. We'll pour one out for him. We'll also do our Rolling Rooks segment, a little play on Rolling Rocks there, where we talk about some of our top rookie performances year today and this past weekend. We're also going to roll into a little O'Roy D-Roy conversation yes. and talk about some of the best rookies on either side of the ball, then finish it out with a little blackout. Always do, always will. Blackout segment where we talk about some of our worst rookie performances from the weekend and then a little teaser on the back end fake id segment yes we're talking about this one's a good one fake id segment here on the two for one drafts podcast is where we talk about an underclassman that we led into the bar we led into the draft if he had a good enough fake id this guy's a good one as well i'm gonna go ahead and get right into this raise a glass segment even though i tease it is what's on tap um we got to start with Oklahoma State. Thailand Wallace, the wide receiver who we've talked about him a little bit in the past mm-hmm. on this podcast, how we want to see more from him as a route runner. We want to see that separation ability in one-on-one situations. But what he's always been good at is after the catch, and he showed that. He had an absolute highlight reel of a day this past week and definitely worth raising a glass to. Yeah, I was going to say, probably in the running for highlight of the year in terms of what he did after the catch against Iowa State on that screen, broke like half the team. Half the team missed a tackle on him. And Someone had a good tweet. They said, once you thought you saw the best mistake, the best broken tackle, there was like one more left that he still had yet to do. It was a pretty dirty uh, screen. It didn't, it wasn't anything that I guess we didn't already know from him. It wasn't, you know, it didn't answer the question marks we had from him in terms of that route running ability. But I think he, with how dangerous he is after the catch and how many plays he's put up on tape that looks similar to that with his speed, his after the catch ability, I think he almost qualifies in that offensive weapons category where yeah, maybe you got to get him a free release. You got to scheme him uh, some plays to get the ball in his hands. But with the ball in his hands, he is dynamic. And I think that's the way the NFL is trending. Get you more players like that in your roster. Uh, get you fewer possession type good route runners that can maybe uh, move the chains. But I think the Tylen Wallace's of the world are the big play threats that you want in the NFL today. Especially, you look at Tylen Wallace, and I think you made a great point there. If you pair him up with a creative play caller that recognizes his ability after the catch, that recognizes what he can do with the ball in his hands and doesn't necessarily see, he obviously knows his route running, maybe his releases are a limitation, but I know if I get the ball in his hands, he can be you know a mm-hmm. touchdown waiting to happen. Let's go here and move forward. A guy that's been down in the dumps, man. This guy could have been a blackout Ooh. candidate a handful of times yes. down there in Palo Alto. KJ Costello of Stanford, the quarterback, did not have a good start to the season. Battled injuries, did not play well. Battled, you know, it was really, really not a good start. But this past weekend, 31 of 44 for 322 yards, yeah. three touchdowns, and three big time throws. PFF's highest graded throws. Costello, what a day. Yeah, multiple injuries early on the season. Played only three games up to before heading into this past weekend, had a 50.4 passing grade in those three games. He was a guy who, if you were to tell me one of either Joe Burrow or or KJ Costello would take a leap into the stratosphere and be, you know, just an all-world type of quarterback this year. I would have put a lot of money on Costello before Burrow in that in that sort wow. of taking that bet prior to the season. Costello did the opposite, but this past week against Arizona, he showed that he still can make special throws on the football field. Three big time throws went 31 of 44 for 322 yards and three touchdowns. Zero turnover worthy plays. 
this is the kind of game where I thought we'd see a few stretches of this, you know, four or five games in a row like that from Costello because he has that big arm, the ability to put it into tight windows down the football field. I thought we saw that from him last year. And I thought he was almost held back by the scheme and the receiving core there at Stanford. Now, the receiving core is probably worse this year, unfortunately, for him. But I, I do think he needs a few more of these down the stretch to work his way uh, back into the sort of even draftable conversation at this point. He is an underclassman, though. He does have an opportunity to come back for the 2020. Oh, does he I think, Yeah, he can okay. go to the He 20- is a senior, but I think he, maybe he has Maybe he has year. another year yeah. of eligibility. I apologize for that. So does have a 90.2 overall grade against Arizona, but in the games prior did not play well. Does have an opportunity to maybe go back to school Mm-hmm. re-bring up that draft spot. I, I think would he, recommend. I would definitely recommend, point. even though he did have this big game. Um, moving forward here, let's bring up another name on this one. Jeremiah Dinson had a really good day as well. Yeah, we could throw him into the uh, local IPA category oh. here. Yeah, this is a new, uh, breaking segment. Local IPA, Jeremiah Dinson, safety for Auburn. Probably haven't heard much about him. Highest coverage grade, though, of any safety in the country. So Jeremiah Dinson this past week against LSU. Five of five targets for 27 yards. None of those went for first downs, though. He has been exceptional as a box slot sort of hybrid safety, almost a linebacker in that Auburn system. Uh, only 81 yards on the entire season on 27 targets. That's a that's doing your job pretty well there. So he's working away up our board again. He's a, more of a box safety than he is a deep safety at this point. But I think uh, what we've seen from him, the breadth of how long he's been getting it done and how many games in a row he's been playing well, uh, I, I think he's working his way. Like, like I said, he wasn't even on our radar heading into this year. Two-year starter, though, at Auburn. Now, finally, uh, getting uh, his t- tapes getting across our desk here. Okay, I like that. Local mm-hmm. IPA. You're bringing in a surprise segment on me. Okay, I'm getting a little excited over here, Mike. Um, we're gonna bring, this guy's not a local IPA. This guy's as well. And this guy's Budweiser of college football. Everyone's had a little bit of piece of him. Chase Young of Ohio State has been dominant. Dominant being an understatement. Mm-hmm. This guy has been unreal, a freak, the best player in the draft. Everyone has called him every support superlative they've got and rightfully so he's been insane yeah i was gonna say this past week against wisconsin i usually don't we usually don't raise a glass to chase young's you know 90 plus pass rushing grades he's because, had enough glasses because he raised. does yeah i was gonna say because uh we don't want him to get hammered we'd be raising glasses to him all day long but 97.1 pass rushing grade for the season now previous record that we've ever seen in our six years of doing this is 94.4 he's smashing that record and if you just watch that wisconsin game it was arguably the most dominant defensive performance i've seen this decade in terms of just if they single blocked him, he won and it didn't just it didn't, he didn't just win. He won without any sort of resistance whatsoever. He got past the offensive lineman who Cole Van Landen will pour one out from here in a little bit left tack for Wisconsin just in the blink of an eye. And, and it was any move he wanted outside move inside move bull rush anything he wanted. He got uh, two force fumbles four sacks in the day. Uh, honestly, if you if we if we really thought if we really said Heisman goes to the best player in college football. It shouldn't be a conversation at this point. It should be Chase Young. I mean, and I want to bring up Kill Van Lan. I know we're touching on him later, but this is no slouch yes, of an offensive tackle. He was going against a legitimate piece here in Wisconsin. Six foot five, 311 pounds, earned high pass blocking grades against teams in, in uh, games prior. In this game, 5.6 yeah. Pass blocking grade on PFF zero to one hundred scale. That's impossible. <laughs> I was getting those grades maybe in middle school, high school, but I mean Cole Van Lannan, you cannot turn those things in. Very rough day for him, and I think we're going to have to touch on him later in mm-hmm. the pour one out segment. Chase Young, other worldly to start this year. Let's bring up Alabama cornerback Trayvon Diggs. He had a fantastic day this past weekend. He's proven too. I saw in warmups, dude's big. Dude's a very he, big he looks cornerback. Incredible. He looks like he should be playing small forward for like the Raptors. Like Dude. this guy has length 
for days. Uh, if Jay Billis, uh, we're here talking about him, he'd be caking his pants over this guy's leg. <laughs> I mean, that, he is just long as can be. It does not look anything like a cornerback uh, should, but which like that is actually ideal what you want at the cornerback position to play press coverage. You can just... You, it doesn't matter. He can stand flat-footed and just grab you no matter what kind of release you want to get out. He'll be pressing you. So he has all the tools to be a high-level cornerback uh, in the NFL, and we saw it again this week. One of three targets, 15 yards, had that pick six, which wasn't just, it wasn't just press coverage. He got the pick six from a little slot wheel that uh, he had the crosser coming under, fades off the crosser immediately to jump the slot wheel. Quarterback throws the wheel thinking you know that he had bitten. Nope. Picks it off, pick six. It was high-level cornerback play, not just purely press coverage using that physical advantage. It was more than just that. So Trayon Diggs, uh, he's first-round corner. Uh, I think pretty much you can put that one in stone right now. He'll be a first-round corner come next April. 100%. Six foot two, 207 pounds. You speak to he has all the tools, but I'll say this. He also has the production. He's yeah. been very good in coverage this year, a 90.2 coverage grade on the year of a handful of pass breakups, including one this past weekend. He has been incredible. Great mm-hmm. match and mirror ability in the slot. A big dude that could probably play outside. Would you say he could play both slot and outside? Yeah, I, I, he plays mostly outside for Alabama. I think he is an outside corner. Ideally, that's where you want him. But he does have the versatility. He has played some slot this year. He does have the versatility to go in there. So I'm not pigeonholing him. Guys like Paulson Debo, Bryce Hall, I'd probably pigeonhole the outside. Trayvon Diggs, I'd, I would not necessarily do that. Maybe a ma- uh, shadow, potentially. A shadow mm-hmm. corner at the mm-hmm. next level. Juwan Jennings of Tennessee. This is a receiver you've brought up a handful of times on the podcast. He has another big day for you. This one blew me away because this was one of the most impressive receiving performances I saw all season long. And just in terms of the high-level reps, the after-the-catch work, he had a dig where he breaks two tackles for a touchdown, had a post-route touchdown where he shimmies a safety, uh, you know, fakes, an out, fakes the corner, goes to the post, and then catches it with the toe tap in the back of the end zone. He had a couple, and he, so he got seven of eight targets for 174 yards, two touchdowns, four broken tackles, and only ran 22 routes. He was on, only on the field for 22 pass plays. This guy has very much worked his way Pushes his way, way, way up the board for us. I, I did not know really anything about him heading into the season. And uh, I mean, I'm not alone. He only had 438 yards in 2018. He wasn't on a lot of people's boards, but already 652 this year. Seven TDs. Huge game against South Carolina this past week. And now 17 broken tackles on 42 catches for a six foot three wide receiver. That's rare. That is We d- never see a rate like that. Uh, no ma- Even if you're, uh, you know, uh, what's his face for Purdue? Uh, Rondale Moore. Even Rondale Moore is not breaking tackles at that kind of rate. That's absurd for Juwan Jennings. So this guy, really hope, really, really hope he goes to the senior bowl. You're going to tell me a six foot three, two hundred eight pound receiver gave a safety shimmy toe tap mm. in this game? I mean, come on. <laughs> you get the four missed tackles as well. 91.0 receiving grade for him. And he's a guy it that you brought up in the past. I, I looked at the production. I liked the force missed tackle ability. You know, drops maybe a little bit of concern, mm. but when you're starting to force missed tackles at this rate, at that size, and show that shimmy on the safety. And that's South Carolina. That's not, that's not nobody. No he's not, this isn't Akron. You know, he's doing it against a real team here. <laughs> very, very true. Let's go to another wide receiver here. Colorado. We're going to the Pac-12. LaVisca Chenault. He's the guy that we hope to have a good week in the week prior. Mm-hmm. This time turns in nine catches, 172 yards, and a touchdown, including four missed tackles. This guy, a weapon, starting to prove he can be a legitimate wide receiver threat. I was going to say, it looked like a game he would have had last year. He hasn't had many of these this year where they're really just pumping him targets, and he's producing on those targets. Uh, took a few pop passes. where So it's not... All nine catches weren't, you know, downfield sort of receptions. 
interceptions, took a couple pop passes, but then he broke tackles after those catches. The one bad play that kind of, if you can say on tape, was he did separate on a post down the field, ball was underthrown, and he didn't adjust to it well and come back, let the DB cut in front of him, break that one up, almost picked. Uh, would like to see him come back and high point that instead of you know sitting and letting it come to him and letting the defensive back in the way. One that, Just the one little sort of uh, pick right there on that one, the one... One point that I would have changed, but the rest was vintage Lavisca Chenault. He is the definition of an offensive weapon. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have to get a little bit less exciting on this next one. We're going to pour one out. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and start with my guy, Aesop Winston Jr. He's he's not the only guy named Aesop. His dad obviously owns the name, but he did not was wearing it, was not wearing it proud. Aesop Winston Jr. Washington State Whiteout, a guy I've praised on the podcast in, in, in previous episodes, did not have mm. a good game this past week. He struggled to create separation at the line of scrimmage. wasn't getting a ton of target volume. No one really had a great day for Washington State in this one, but he was not getting open like we saw in previous in previous games. I was not impressed. I went into this one against Lenoir. I was like, you know what? He's going to toast him a little bit. Oregon doesn't have anything on him, and it did <laughs> not work out. D'Amador Lenoir really got to him, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was not a good look for Aesop. Yeah, three of four for 28 yards. Uh, not great. I mean, he's had better days. But <laughs> it's a tough cornerback group, and that's that's what you want to see is you want to see those guys rise above. Uh, but Lenoir in the day targeted five times, two catches for 37 yards. So maybe a little race class for him instead. Yeah, I get, we're just going to have to at this point. Lenoir matched up against Aesop, one target, no receptions allowed. Aesop just couldn't have anything against that press. I think you saw him against Darnay yep, Holmes. That's what you want to. You saw him against Darnay Holmes at UCLA, and he kind of beat him down a bit, and, and you had good releases off the line of scrimmage. But I will say this as pretty as those releases are, I think they were a little bit long. I think better corners beat him in those, and better corners mm-hmm. beat him on those releases against uh, Oregon in this one. It was not a good day for Aesop. We're going to pull one out also. We mentioned him earlier 5.6 pass blocking grade Wisconsin tackle Cole Van Lannon. No one has a good day against Chase Young, but he had an awful day against Chase Young. It was nothing pretty about this one. So going up against Chase Young is basically just tossing you right onto an NFL football field. It's like here, you're you're playing against an NFL, you're playing against a top tier NFL pass rusher. Now, good luck. Uh, And it basically just Cole Van Lannon proved that he's not ready to play on an NFL football field. There's no shame in that. Uh, But I think it's basically you go back to that tape as an NFL evaluator, you're going to be very worried. So for Van Landen's sake, I, I think he comes back. He has another year of eligibility here. I think he comes back to Wisconsin after putting a game like that on tape. And what we saw from him the week before when we poured one out against Illinois, back-to-back poor one outs, never a good thing. Uh, Van Landen, uh, yeah, I think it's a return sort of grade he gets from you're, the You're telling me Chase Young sent Cole Van Landen back home after the game on, <laughs> onto his laptop in the blackboard.edu looking for credit hours and yeah. what he could take as he's a like, minor. He's like, I'm coming back next year. Might as well maybe take Spanish for the third he semester. He started studying on the way home. He's like, I got to pass this. this I got to stay eligible. Oh, man, that is unfortunate. We're going to go to another poor one out here. Kylan Hill. This is a guy that was getting hyped up after the Southern Miss game, and you were saying this too. Early in the season, this was the same time last year I was getting excited about this bowling ball of butcher knives mm-hmm. who's forcing missed tackles at Reckless abandon. He goes against Texas A&M. Does not have a good week. We're pouring one out for him. Two, two, two drops. And the was. It's one thing to just drop a pass uh, where you know your hands are there uh, and it just clangs off. Maybe you weren't completely focused or you're thinking about running up field beforehand. But they hit him in the stomach. And when a ball hits you in the stomach as a receiver, that is always a bad thing because that's not how you want to catch a football. Because that uh, just means you're not tracking the ball correctly if it's going to hit you in the stomach uh you are taught to get the get your hands away from your body so that if there's contact the ball doesn't immediately pop out 
hits two balls, hit him right in the stomach, two drops, and he had drop issues last year, three drops on 25 catchable, uh, one drop two years ago as a freshman on five catchable. So this is a continued issue now uh, with him. That's just not a good thing because we're going to go to our uh, you know, rolling rook segment. And with the guys who we're going to talk about there are guys who have affected the passing game as well uh, at the NFL level. That's what we want to see. So for Kylan Hill, those drop issues, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. And, and this is a good opportunity to say this. Not all drops are created equal. You, <laughs> you speak to it when he, it was not focused drops. It wasn't he was looking ahead. He was looking to force a missed tackle. When they're hitting you in the stomach and you're approaching the ball poorly, that's a sign of bad ball skills, drops that are going to continue. You see <laughs> that with Noah Fant of the Denver Broncos now. We saw that at Iowa. And with Kylan Hill, when you're letting balls hit your stomach or approaching them poorly, your hands are in the wrong place, those drop issues don't go away. And with focused drops, those are some things that you can overlook with an Amari Cooper may be a Tyler Johnson, but mm-hmm. here, not really impressed with not this. Saying. And only nine catches this year for 67 yards. You're going to bang the table for a running back that has nine catches through nine weeks at college football? No, thank you. I, I, need, I know he has 37 force missed tackles. I know he's gaining yards after contact. But if you cannot create as a pass catcher in this league, I cannot bang the book for you. You're going to be a late day three pick mm-hmm. on my board. Um, that's that's where I'm at. We're going to go ahead and pour some out for the Michigan so a couple of Michigan State guys. Yeah. Ke, uh, start with, uh, start with Wilkes here. He did not Kevin, Kenny Wilkes, the edge defender for Michigan State, who is graded well in PFF system in the past. He's totaled a ton of pressures. And this is not a good week for him, though. It has not been a good stretch for him now. Four, last four weeks, he has five total pressures. That's against Indiana, Ohio State, Wisconsin and Penn State. And that's on 130 pass rushes. It's not like he's just barely on the field. He's on the field every single snap and not affecting it. That's worrisome because he's not a high level athlete. If you're not a, you know, if you're not explosive and you don't have the bend, the NFL sort of body at the edge, you better produce in college or else it's, you know, there's no light switch to flip at that point. You're just not going to be productive in the NFL. Now he did have a broken uh, ankle or a fibula, sorry, at the end of last year in the bowl game, came back this year. It was pretty early. Might still be seeing ill effects from that. That might be playing an issue because he did us 86.2 pass rushing grade last year, but now a 72.9 this year. That's I don't know what you're going to do with that at the NFL level. If you're just a run defender, still a good run defense grade. If you're just a run defender who's not particularly athletic, I just don't know where to end up valuing that on the edge. Probably a late day three ish guy at this point. And it sucks that you have to point. It's a high motor, not a super athletic mm-hmm. edge defender. We've All the cliches seen, you want. We've seen this Michigan State defender before, in, uh-huh. in my opinion. I think Kev, Kenny Wilkes, though he's graded well in the past, an 86.2 passers grade, like you said, in 2018, 71 total pressures. When you're not winning quickly off the snap and showing good athleticism and good bend, that's hard to project to the next level. It's mm-hmm. more than just, like I said, not all drops are created equal. Not all pressures are created equal. Some of them can be clean-up pursuit pressures that we chart in PFF system. And if you're not beating def- or your Office blocks running. quickly, you're not going to earn high pass rush grades. I don't care how many pressures you mm-hmm. get. You need to win early in the snap if you are going to chase those chase young numbers as a pass rusher. Uh, staying at Michigan State here, Brian Lewerke. We could pour one out for Lewerke a handful of times. Every every week it feels like we could maybe just give him a little bit. He but, was at one point a prospect. Yes, at one at point. At this point, I think that ship has sailed. He did have, so he had a 65.9 passing grade in 2017. Fringe, but it was a sophomore. I mean, still very fringe. Uh, last year, he had the shoulder injury down the stretch. Really should not have been playing, uh, but a 50.4 passing grade at the end of the year with. This past week against Penn State, 28.8. Last week against Wisconsin, 28.7. Uh, in those games, he completed fewer than 50% of his passes. I mean, he's only at 56.3 on the season. It, it's just he's not a prospect anymore. Uh, he's just not. Like, Brian Lewerke is not going to get a draftable grade from PFF. Uh, that's just 
that's really all there is to say at this point. He's just had so many duds for Michigan State, and just the accuracy is not there. You hate to see it. Looking at it, I I wanted to dive in right before you ended here, dive into his uh, big-time throw turnover really play ratio. Ten big-time throws, those highly graded throws that you see in PFF system, 13 turnover really plays. A ratio like that is not going to get you far. Not going to get you far. Not, yeah. Not going to get you far. Uh, that's going to do it for our pour one out segment. But before we dive into the rookies, I want to do, do a little bit of breaking news on mm-hmm. the two for one drafts podcast. The Cincinnati Bengals have announced, or Tom Pelissero has announced that the they're benching Andy Dalton in favor of a rookie. So two for one drafts, oh. Ryan Finley. Oh, let, Ryan here we Finley go. is coming in to start for the Cincinnati Bengals. One, what is your analysis of Ryan Finley going into that 2019 NFL draft in, at, from NC State? I, I so I love the move from the Bengals. I, I think yes, just. Cut the ties with Andy Dolan. This gives you kind of an out towards the end of the season. Doesn't make it as hard to move on once the season's over. Finley, though, uh, would have been... He was below the NFL arm threshold, I'd say. Like, his arm was too weak to be good in the NFL. Like, to be high-level good in the NFL. And I I really liked how he threw with anticipation. Uh, I liked him throwing outside the numbers. His accuracy, I thought, was great there. But at the same time, actually outside the numbers with a weak arm... I just I'm not sure it's going to be able to translate, and that's what you worry about with that week. Would you have not said the the same thing about Gardner Minshew? I probably would have to some degree. So it can be overcome. Like I I think those guys are rewriting what you expect in terms of arm strength at the NFL level, uh, what you can work with nowadays. But it's still it's still limiting. You're still Gardner Minshew is not running the same offense that you know Aaron Rodgers. You're just not Mm going to call up the same concepts because there's some throws that you just don't want him making uh, in the NFL. I think that's Finley. He's just at that level of arm strength where it's weak, but he has throws well with anticipation. I think he's NFL ready in terms of how he can operate an offense, but you really saw it show up against Clemson. He never played well against Clemson in his career at NC state because they just had too much speed. Uh, and the throws he would, was making against every other team, they were just picking off on the back end because of that arm. Against good defenses, too, you even see with Gardner Minshew, who doesn't have a great arm, they take advantage of those limitations and can kind of get to mm-hmm. him. But he's got moxie. He's got the mustache. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's gonna, I'm not sure he has. Yeah, I'm I don't not sure know if Finley's, Finley's got, got it. I, I want to dive into uh, Finley's passing grades from 2018. He had an 89.2 passing grade in 2018, which ranked ninth among all Signal callers with at least 100 dropbacks drop backs that year. 26, no, 29 big-time throws, only 16 turnover-worthy plays. Did, you know, pretty good, pretty good for where he was. I think I do agree with you, though. Arm is limiting. He throws with anticipation. NFL-ready guy, but from that, does he have the high end? Probably not. I, I think I don't, you don't see the high end, but we'll have the to see. The Bengals will find out. I want to talk a little bit about Andy Dalton before we jump off of this. Andy Dalton now benched. You mm-hmm. could call the Dalton era over. The red rifle is unloaded. There's no more bullets in there. Mm-hmm. They can cut him for $0 in dead money before the next season. I also think there's opportunity to trade him. I was going to say, I wonder if, I mean, if Joe Flacco has a market for trade. Yes. You could probably trade and maybe say you'll eat some of the salary and someone will take on an Andy Dalton. You know who will? Chicago Bears. Yeah. They Chicago, take him on right now. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Chicago Bears give Cincinnati a call. I know it's not. I'm not sure they can fit that in their cap. But. That, that would be tough. That would be tough. But I think that's an option. I think, you know, the trade deadline's a couple hours out here. I think you maybe make a, make a move if Cincinnati's willing. But you have seen the reports about the Cincinnati Bengals being unwilling to trade players. They're willing to bench players, but unwilling to trade players. That's where they're at in the in, in the Queen City right now. But that's an interesting thing. Ryan Finley will Actually, get the start. they got 17 million in cap space. They could fit Dalton. 
Make it fit, Dalton. Fit Dalton. The Red Rifle's coming to Windy City? Very well, possible. There we go. Well, Ryan Finley's starting for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not going to salvage that season. I was going to say, and also not a great situation for him. You'd like to, if you're a rookie quarterback, to at least have a little time to throw. Yes. And he will not. So. Oh, man. That Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. We can bring up a rookie. Pour one out for him just real quick. Michael Jordan. Mm. Oh, my goodness. He yeah. has been one of the lowest graded offensive linemen in the NFL so far. They went with him over Billy Price at certain points in the season. And mm-hmm. found out quickly that the Ohio State alumnus was I, not. I, th- I think great we talked about Billy Price too because I mean he basically didn't play his rookie year, so he's almost a rookie here. Twenty-two point oh pass black and grade as a second-year player. It's been bad. That I, is the Bengals' offensive line is bad. I'm scrolling through the uh, live chat here. Remember, you can see us live on YouTube. They want us to do some Halloween segments for Thursday. I'll work on those. I can get a little trick-or-treat action going. Let's go to Rolling Rooks here. We are going to start with Miles Sanders. He has a very good day. People in the fantasy football community were raving about that big 65-yard touchdown, but he also looked good in the passing game. This is the Miles Sanders we saw coming out of Penn State. Remember, a little bit on his background. You know I love the backgrounds here. Five-star recruit, probably sat behind the only running back in the country, maybe the only person in the country that could have had him. Him on the bench in Saquon Barkley when he finally gets the nod for the Nittany Lions. He lights him up. Great forcing missed tackles. Good receiving back, in my opinion. He had yeah. some of that flash, and I think you're starting to see that now in Philadelphia. He was thrown to the Wolves. Trial by fire in the NFL. Wasn't given a ton of opportunity to acclimate, but now that he's acclimated, getting touches every week, I think you're starting to see that flash that we saw at Penn State. Yeah, and that's the thing. Three three catches, each at least three catches each of the last four weeks. Uh, he has been a weapon for them in the passing game. Had a nice screen. Uh, this past week against Buffalo, where he you know, made a couple guys miss. So it was uh, another good day for Miles Sanders. Started off slow. Didn't really know how to utilize him in that offense, but I think he's really hitting a stride here midseason. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move forward here on the rolling rooks here. We're going to talk David Montgomery, another running back that had a pretty good day for Chicago. They, they, Chicago looking for bright spots. Mitchell Trubisky, definitely not one of them. I think David Montgomery had another good game for him. I think he's a guy that... We're seeing a lot of what we saw at Iowa State. What I'd like to see more of, though, is more big playability, more of those long runs that we saw this past week. Yeah, uh, I, I think as a, we talked about them uh, last week's pod in terms of guys who we really hadn't touched on a lot and his still breaking tackles well, but just wasn't turning into yards this week. It finally sort of clicked for him. Six broken tackles on 27 carries, two broken, two more in the passing game as well for him. So uh, I had 10 first 10 carries go for first down. So Dave Montgomery, I think we had him, we had him as running back three. We had Josh Jacobs. We had Miles Sanders. Then we had David Montgomery. Uh, and I think he's finally starting to turn around in terms of just give him a little space to work with. He is, he tries, I think between the tackles is where he gets a little dancey, tries to break tackles too much. Doesn't just take what's there. And that's why his yards per carry might be low, but get him out in space. That's when he's at his best. A guy I know you're in love with that you had very high on your board, Elton Jenkins, mm-hmm. Mississippi State alumnus who's playing for the Green Bay Packers right now and playing very well. He's coming off a career performance against the Kansas City Chiefs. He earned an 89.2 single game grade in Kansas City, including an 87.8 run blocking grade. This is a guy you loved his base. You loved all of those mm. things about him. And there are, there are other guys yes. touting Garrett Bradbury, a, a frequent yeah. to the blackout segment here on the two for one drafts podcast that has struggled mightily in pass protection. Mm-hmm. Elton Jenkins proving a lot of people wrong right now is one of the better interior offensive yeah. linemen rookies 15th highest grade guard in the nfl at the moment after this wow. past week was made our pff team of the week only one pressure and what i love is that not only is he grading well and has been good 
uh, throughout the season, he has not had a game where he's really gotten owned, where he really hasn't looked like he belonged. His worst game, he only gave up two pressures. That's his worst game so far in the season. His worst game, he's still you know holding his own on a snap-in, snap-out basis, maybe gets beaten a couple times, but isn't just getting demolished. And I think that's what you love to see is right out the gate, he is NFL ready. You know, He's an upgrade for them over uh, Lane Taylor, who was replaced there at left guard. Let's go to one of the guys we both really liked coming out of Toledo, the wide receiver Deontay Johnson of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a guy that you didn't comp to Antonio Brown, but saw similarities at least. I comped in, Antonio in, Brown. You, you comped Antonio Brown, you, but he looks a lot like he runs like Antonio Brown, had similar releases, had that twitchiness that mm-hmm. moves different. I remember you always kept saying that he moves different than other receivers in this class. I'll tell you right now, that release on third and 20 against nobody, fire. That yards after catch is good. You obviously had he James, froze the yeah, yeah. James Washington with the great block for that touchdown, but this is a guy that I think is getting better as you know as he gets more touches I, I could see Deontay Johnson starting to really carve out a role now that Mason Rudolph's healthy too because if you got Devlin Duck Hodges back there not a lot of fun is happening in Pittsburgh yeah. with Mason Rudolph I think this offense becomes more competent Juju gets more involved and therefore Deontay gets more involved yeah caught five of seven targets for 84 yards and a touchdown uh I think you saw also on that offensive pass interference, you saw kind of the, the the ball skills that he has. He's going up against Xavier Howard, some of the best ball skills of any cornerback in the you know NFL at this point. And yes, he gets called for the OPI for shoving the handoff, but that gets no. that goes that goes half and half the amount of times that gets actually called for OPI. You have to do subtle things like that to get yourself free. At the catch point, it was Antonio Brown's basically bread and butter, how he made a career out of that. And I think you see that from Deontay Johnson, too. He's small, 5'10 and 183. But when he does things like that and hauls in balls down the field, I think that's very encouraging. So, yes, it got called back for an OPI, but I think it's in the long run a good thing for him to see plays like that. I would agree with you 100%. That's stuff that we've seen from Deontay Johnson at Toledo and early in the NFL, even in the preseason. He plays well with his hands down the field with, like a veteran. I think he does well with his hands. He, get called, he got called for OPI in the preseason, too, on mm-hmm. that touchdown. I think he, he, I think he knows how to be physical. He's going to get caught a couple yes. times, but Deontay Johnson looked good this past week. I had an opportunity to watch this guy against the Arizona Cardinals. Played a lot against Larry Fitzgerald, Chauncey Garner Johnson, CGJ. This was a hell of a game. Such, it was such one of the most a, impressive, probably yes. the most impressive defensive performance I've seen all season from someone not named Nick Bosa. Oh, there we'll we go. Targeted six times, only allowed three receptions for 11 yards, three forcing completions, and he was going against good receiving talent too, and Kyler Murray. Yes. This isn't an easy offense to defend. They've been worlds better with Cliff Kingsbury and, and, and Kyler Murray taking steps forward. Chauncey, this was a good game for him. I, I think a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, so the, of the three catches, so three of six targets he allowed, of those three catches, two were screens, and the other was a slant to Larry Fitzgerald, where probably only Larry Fitzgerald and maybe uh, three or four other receivers in the NFL actually even haul that ball in because he was raking hands at the catch point right there. Great play from him. Better play from Fitzgerald to bring it in for a first down. But so those were that, those were the only catches he allowed. Had three forced incompletions on the day. Uh, slot corner there for the Saints. That's what he was at Florida as well. I love him in that role. I just think his instincts, his breaks on the footballs underneath are great. And we saw it again today or not today, I guess, Sunday, we saw from him, uh, like I said, one of the best defensive performances I've seen all season and on the year. 21 targets, only 51 yards allowed in his coverage. Dude's been good. And four pass pickups last two weeks, really coming out strong. Definitely. Let's go to a guy who's also coming out strong easily, and I think it's a good segue into our O'Roy D-Roy conversation, because yeah. Nick Bosa is running away with this award right now. Through, through week eight, he has a 23.9% pass rush win rate, which when you rank among rookies, 
first round rookies, Josh Allen, 15.1%, way down that's the list. That's good, though. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Nick Bosa is among veterans. In pass rush win rate among all players, he's just behind his brother, Joey Bosa. <laughs> and I think he ranks third among all edge defenders among qualifying snaps there. Nick Bosa has been incredible. There's some people saying he doesn't finish sacks. He obviously had the two missed sacks against James Winston. Pressure is more predictive than sacks. And I think right now you are seeing him create pressure with reckless abandon at veteran levels. And I don't think that can be understated. We've yeah. talked about in the past about you know rookies specifically in the trenches offensive line and defensive line taking time to be productive it, it you know even Khalil Mack took some time a little bit to be a great pass rusher mm-hmm. in the NFL Nick Bosa's hitting the ground running and I would even say that's an understatement he has been electric for San Francisco yeah three sacks this past weekend so the finishing sacks crowd just you know silent just <laughs> just on ice right now but yeah Nick including Nick Bosa and the rolling rooks is almost like including uh, Chase Young in the in the race glass segment at this point. It's just he's going to dominate week in and week out. And we're just going to have to deal with it because he is uh, one of the, you know, he's already a top 10 uh, pass rush grade in all of the NFL in terms of the edge defenders. That's just, it's absurd at this point. He is, he is an elite power. He is an elite pass rusher in the NFL, you know, end of, end of story. I'm going to put, yeah, a little, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Okay. Who's the better prospect coming out of Ohio State? Oh, Nick man. Bosa, Joey Bosa, and now you have Chase Young. So I know it's a little oh, unfair. Oh, Chase Young is. Really? Chase Young's the best one really? of, that, of that bunch. But if you're just doing the Bosa brothers, Chase Young's the best prospect I've seen since we started doing this at PFF in wow. terms of just how sure I feel like him translating to the NFL is just he's going to be good. He's, he's Miles Garrett athletic and more productive. Than Did Miles I mention Garrett. we've DM'd a couple times? Is that a factor <laughs> you in your evaluation? That, cool, that cool. has no factor. Oh, really? Truthfully, it's lowering him on my board, if anything. But uh, So between Nick and Joey, though, I, I thought on the field, I thought Nick was a little more athletic. Uh, and so just on the field, maybe I'd lean Nick. But I thought Joey, with having played more snaps and being healthy coming out, I probably would have leaned him. If they were in the same draft with the exact same resume, I probably would have picked Joey coming out. Just because of the injury and that sort of stuff with Nick. But I thought on the field, Nick was maybe a little, just a little more athletic. But he was also a little smaller. So I don't know. It's a, it's a give and take. But yeah, like I said, I probably would have taken Joey if both in the same draft. Okay. D-Roy D- favorite, obviously. If you had to pick another guy right now. That, I don't even want to say that's close, but like in the conversation slightly for D-Roy. If maybe if Nick Bosa got hurt or something, uh, God, God forbid, you don't want to see that. But uh-huh. obviously Nick Bosa, the clear frontrunner, the favorite for Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2019. But let's segue into this. Who do you else do you, who else do you think? think is in that conversation well i think charnsey garner johnson over the past few weeks has been one of the best slot cornerbacks in the nfl well i've seen from him he could work his way into that conversation jeffrey simmons has hit the ground running over his first small two sample weeks. size but he looks yeah, very small good. sample size but uh 82.9 pass rushing grade on the season from him on 32 pass rushing snaps and i think dexter lawrence he looks like he's going to be one of the best nose tackles in the nfl probably sooner rather than later more run defense than pass rush uh from him at this point but still holding his own as a pass rush like he's still not uh, giving you nothing in that regard. He's still been fine. So I put those guys uh, a good tier behind. Like if Nick Bosa, uh, you know, decides to quit football tomorrow, uh, I, I could, that that would be the next tier. But Bosa is on his own at this point. He, he doesn't really need to play even that many more games to be for the award to just be his. Let's keep this going and go over to offensive rookie of the year. I think the obvious favorite, largely because of the position he plays and also the impact he's having for this Jacksonville Jaguars team, Gardner Minshew. And I think the jokes come with the mustache, the jorts, had the bottle of Jack Jack Daniels where he smashed his hand for a red shirt year. There's a ton of reasons to fall in love with the guy, but he's also winning and playing the game of football really well with his limitations, with that noodle arm. He's throwing with anticipation 
anticipation. I think scrambling under pressure really well, moving, you know, creating out of structure really well for a rookie, mm-hmm. finding open receivers that which I think Sam and uh, Steve made a great point on the NFL podcast this morning, or I think maybe it was Monday, talking about going into this year, we looked at this Jacksonville Jaguars receiving core and kind of laughed at it. DJ Chark, you know, D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Lee, a bunch of hopefuls, a bunch of potential. There's not a lot there for Nick Foles mm-hmm. to work with. But somehow, Garner Minshew's coming out of this thing and making these guys look good. I think DJ Chark, of course, has taken a step forward, but still, he has really elevated this group as a rookie, sixth rounder out of Washington State. I think he is the favorite for Elroy. <sighs> I'd say Kyler Murray's favorite for Elroy. Really? Just personally. But that's that's fine. You can say Gardner Mitchell. He's been he's been solid, but K- Kyler Murray really the only thing that's missing with him at the moment in terms of if you're comparing the two is he just doesn't have the touchdown passes. He hasn't you know gotten the ball those in are important. with his arm, and they're important. Yes, <laughs> but if you look at you know things like big time throws, he has twelve of those compared to only six turnover worthy places. Protected the ball really well for a rookie, which I think has gotten almost underrated is the fact that he's really not making a ton of mistakes with the football. Gardner Minshew has 11 turnover-worthy plays. Daniel Jones has 17, Whoa. which uh, I don't know why I just brought him up. I know he's not going to be in the conversation. But uh, I, I really do think Kyler Murray, if I had to put a vote on right now, it would be him. But I do think that some other guys are certainly in the conversation. Terry McLaurin, Josh Jacobs, what they're doing at running back, wide receiver and running back, respectively, has also been very, very impressive. Let's dive into Josh Jacobs a little bit. He uh, He's one of the highest graded running backs in football right now, regardless of rookie, veteran, whatever it may be. He's forcing missed tackles great, you know, at a very high level, at an absurd rate. Yards after contacts there. They're starting to get him involved in the receiving game a little bit, but still, mm-hmm. that's still what I want to see from him. I don't know if he has the, he's ready to overtake Kyler or Gardner Minshew for this, for the offensive rookie of the year, but I will say he's playing at a very high level, very much looking like the top running back in this class as we projected. Yeah. The only thing is he's not getting featured much in the past game. We've talked about that a lot is that as a runner, he's been as good as he gets in the NFL and he doesn't have a offensive lines improved. But it's not great still. Things still aren't there aren't a ton of holes there for him in that Oakland uh, scheme. So I do think he has been just as a pure runner, arguably the best in the NFL. And I'll throw one more name at you because he made uh, PFF's all, midseason All Pro team, and he's been fantastic. And it's New Orleans center Eric McCoy. Obviously not going to win in real life, but PFF we give every position its credence. At center, he has been very good. Now it's a down year for centers. No, you know Alex Mack gone, Travis Frederick. Uh, come back from injury hasn't been the same. So I, it is kind of a down year in terms of high-level center play. He still only has a 72.2 overall grade, and that's the highest among centers right now uh, because of the play we're seeing around the league. But I do think what we've seen from him, worthy of being in the conversation. There you go. Uh, Eric McCoy kind of throwing out a left wing there. Mm. I like it. Um, let's go ahead and, and tie a bow on this one. If you had to say it right now, at season's end, who finishes with Offensive Rookie of the Year? Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Yep. I'm going to stick with my guns here. Stick with my mustache. I'm going to go Gardner Minshew. I think Gardner Minshew finishes this one out and takes that award home. Let's go to our next segment here. We're going to be talking blackout segment. This is where we talk about some of the rookies and and, and some rookies that have did not have good performances. Garrett Bradbury has been a star on this one a few times. We've also had some other frequent flyers, but this is a new one, largely because he's just now getting his opportunities. Detroit Lions running back Ty Johnson did not have a good debut. He was looking to just ball out in this one, really take over the show, had an opportunity to really own Detroit, yeah. Motor City, and just fell flat on his face. Yeah, I was going to say, every single fantasy league, 
Ty Johnson was probably picked up. It's probably number one your waiver wire this week because of Kerryon Johnson being out for the year. But I mean, this is undrafted rookie out of Maryland. It, we didn't have high expectations, and he kind of didn't live up to those expectations. It's just because running back is not a valuable position does not mean that every single person you throw in at running back is going to be good. It means that there's a lot of them and you can find them easily, but it does not mean that every single one of them is good. So one of four targets for 13 yards added a drop in there uh, and only seven carries for 25 yards. So uh, a lot of fantasy owners were like, what the hell did I just do? Why did I do that? Why did I just give Big up? DFS play too. I remember yeah. everyone hammering him in DFS. Um, another running back that w- is good, force missed tackles like a good. mother yeah. effer at FAU was fantastic from a force missed tackle standpoint and elusiveness. In this one, this past week, he struggled with drops, three drops on the year on just 12 targets, had another two against Philadelphia in week eight. When you're making those mistakes in the receiving game, we hammer it here at PFF. You're doing that as a running back. We're not going to like you. We're not going to be happy with your mm-hmm. performance. Yeah, two drops, a little swing pass and a little out that he both coughed up, and then a fumble as well. That's just that's not going to get done. And again, uh, if you're dropping balls in the passing game, you're not going to be seeing a lot of downs in the NFL nowadays. You just have to be able to, one, catch the ball, two, usually you know catch the ball down the football field is where you're really adding that value and so at FAU though not really a surprise only six catches last year and four drops so uh, this should come as really no surprise to anyone that's followed his career let's go forward here rocky scene of the Indianapolis Colts had a little problem with the penalties this past week five that's penalties an in a game that I'm is not absurd. sure I've ever seen that now, I know that is legitimately absurd you need to ask someone who can actually manipulate PFF's database to see what the most amount of penalties we've seen in one game because five is a especially for a cornerback. Yeah, I mean maybe an offensive lineman, a couple false starts, a holding here and there. Mm -hmm. Cornerback, man. And that was one of the reasons that I think he got pushed up draft boards is he's feisty. He was in everybody's grill and in college you can just beat the shit out of wide receivers down the football field and they're not going to throw a flag because it's completely legal. In the NFL though, a little different story. Uh, He only had six penalties last year, so it wasn't. I mean, that's, that's a good amount for a college cornerback because they don't call. Uh, like I said, there is no illegal contact, but five penalties in this one. And yeah, he just really grabby, really grabby at the top of a lot of routes there uh, for uh, against the Broncos this past week. So he's, he's been fine this season, uh, but that is a that's too many penalties. You can you can get a couple, you know, you can get one uh, every other game or so. And you're not going to complain. If a guy finishes the season with eight to ten penalties, we're not going to really be too upset at that. But if you're going this getting into uh What's his face? Brandon Browner territory where you're a liability with five pounds when you're just racking up penalties like that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to this next cornerback here on the on the blackout segment. Uh, Kendall Sheffield. I'll say this. He didn't have a great game, but dude, he was contesting a lot of those targets against Tyler Lockett. I think Russell Wilson was dropping dimes over the top. He was guarding Tyler Lockett, who's one of the better Mm -hmm. route runners in the NFL, in my opinion. Four targets, four receptions, 66 yards and three first downs. But I will say this. He was right there for a couple of them. He did not have a great game. He did allow all those targets and receptions to go through, but I think he was close on some of those. Yeah, this also is necessarily a new thing though i think at ohio state he was not great uh, in contested situations uh, i did not love his balance coming out and you saw it on the double move they didn't have commit pass interference on he was just falling all over himself biting on basically every part of the route on the release the outcut and then the up he just was all over the place so nothing new for him nothing new this season he now has a 37.4 coverage grade on the oh, season man. 134 coverage snaps uh, already three penalties himself, so that's been an issue as well for him. 
Byron Murphy, a lot of cornerbacks on this blackout side. Byron, Byron Murphy, the Washington cornerback, well, now with Arizona Cardinals. Four missed tackles in this one, allowed a handful of receptions in coverage. Uh, uh, no one really had a good day against the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees coming mm-hmm. back was a coming out party for, New, for the New Orleans Saints. Taysom Hill got involved, Latavius Murray. Byron Murphy was a victim I don't think of, Drew Brees of several. Is having any coming out parties anytime soon. True, true. But Byron Murphy, four missed tackles in this one. If you're a zone corner, Byron Murphy called him best zone corner in the draft. Zone instincts, fantastic. But if you're a zone corner, you also have to be able to tackle because a team like the Saints is going to screen you to death and put your corners one-on-one versus Alvin Kamara, or no, not Alvin Kamara in this one, but on running backs, uh, on wideouts, and you're going to have to train. make that play. Byron Murphy tackling looks to be like it might be a little bit of an issue. Now eight missed tackles on the season for him. Oh my gosh, the stat line for the next guy. Devin White, Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Buccaneers linebacker, 31.9 run defense grade. That's for the season. For the season. Not not ideal mm-hmm. there. And uh, you just cannot. I will say this. Devin White in this past game against Tennessee, I don't know if you saw in the fake punt, absolutely kissed Brett Kern okay, and forced that, that was, fumble. That yeah. was outstanding. Should have been a game winner. That should have been a game winner. They called that whistle early. But Devin White has struggled out of the gate here for them and, and really has specifically in run defense. 31.9 run defense grade on the year for Devin White. That is Dismal. And then 12 of 14 targets he's allowed for 173 yards. Like we could have forgiven the run defense. We, we knew run defense was not going to be his forte. He can run sideline, sideline. He really struggled on tape at good. LSU yeah. as a run defender. Like we knew that was the case. But if you've given up 12 of 14 targets for 173 yards, he's only played in four games. He's not played all season. He has had some injury issues here with him. Only 189 snaps on the year. He's given up over two yards per coverage snap. For a linebacker, that is a ton at this point. They're abusing him at this point. Yeah. They're, they're tar- they see him and they're like, oh, 45, yeah, I think we'll have a couple yards here. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. They kissed Brett Kern, though. I think he makes yeah. up for some of that at least. Let's mm-hmm. add a couple great points on the back end here. Just murdered yeah. Brett Kern for the forced fumble. Um, that's going to do it for our blackout segment where we talk about some of the lower-performing rookies. We're going to finish this out here with a guy I know you're falling in love with. You're ready to take him first overall in this year's draft. He was old enough. Mm. Fake, I, fake ID segment, LSU cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. has been fantastic. Very good from a um, force and completion standpoint. He's target, I think he goes and gets the ball really well. Great yeah. ball skills, ball skills in, man co- in man coverage. This LSU corner is overshadowing Christian Fulton at a certain point. He's only, what, 19 years old? Yeah, he is uh, only 18 years old, I believe, Come still on. at this point. True freshman, six foot one, 190 pounds at the opening in high school. He ran a 4-3 flat and had a 42-inch vertical. This same. guy is... That's crazy. <laughs> I was the same. That's me, too. Yeah, but he is... Patrick Peterson, this is the best cornerback prospect since whoever you want to say. Deion Sanders, Patrick Peterson. This guy is, as a true freshman, the highest coverage grade in the country at the cornerback position. Has allowed only 20 catches on 49 targets. That's a 40.8 completion percentage against four picks and 10 pass breakups already. A 41.6 passer rating. He is absurdly good. His ball skills are great. His mirror ability is great. He is physical at the line of scrimmage. And for him to be that fast, that explosive at 18 years old, I, I this guy will put up numbers uh, in the 2022 or 2022. Yeah, 2022 combine. Jesus, it's going to be so long and that we're going to be able to watch this guy. <laughs> I in can't college. wait. I'm chopping at the bit. I know it, it will be. It will be a fun one. He'll be a fun to watch guy for a few years now. I'd let him in. Like I said, if he was in this upcoming draft. Now, I think Jeffrey Okuda is a better player right now at, you know, at football at the cornerback position. I would take Stingley first over Jeffrey Okuda as the first cornerback on the board just because of what he's doing at 18 years old. 
Uh, maybe he doesn't make the impact for you right away, but a couple years down the line, he will be a lockdown cornerback. Dude, that's some of the highest praise you've given on this podcast. Yeah, you didn't talk about it. me when I was eighteen years old like that. That's rough. But looking at, I remember t- hearing about Stingley. Uh, uh, what now? I guess maybe a year plus ago, talking about his recruiting status and how this guy was like the most coveted recruit in, in the nation. Mm-hmm. Really, consensus five star recruit, number one player in the nation by rivals was legit. And he's got every. He had the pick of the litter. Goes to LSU. DBU referred to as some. Yeah. He is balling out for LSU. Well, wherever right he now. went, probably would have been. Where, DBU. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this has been incredible production for, like you said, an 18 year old. I, I wish he was a little bit faster. I ran a 4 3 at the opening as well. But again, you can't. Patrick Pierce, can't be choosing. Patrick at this Pearson point. went 4 3 1, I want to say, back in the day and had like a 40 inch vertical. Wow. But he was at 220. Yeah. So we'll. Maybe Peterson's but a little still, more. But still, though, he's freakish, six foot one at 18 years old. Yeah. I think you could fill could out that frame a little bit. He yeah, starts he... to be a little bit beefier there. Oh, man. Derek Stingley getting me excited to finish the podcast here. Two for one drafts. That's going to do it for our latest episode of Two for One Drafts. Make sure you tune in live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can also catch us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. That's going to do it for Austin Gale and Mike Renner on Two for One Drafts. Yeah.